Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Happy Friday. It is April Fool. Fool's Day first. I couldn't get first or fools out. I couldn't decide which it was. In my mind, it is April 1st. I hate April Fool's Day, especially now that social media is a thing. I have not even looked at social media today because I just didn't want to be tricked by anyone's stupidity. Happy Democrat Day. <laughs> Happy Democrat okay, I had Day. To That's my, not nice. Well I know. That if was you're my just da- joining us for the first time, this is Greg Hughes. He's a nice gentleman. <laughs> That's my dad joke. Of the house. That's my dad joke. Happy Democrat Day. I mean, Happy Fool's Day. Or April Fool's Day. See, Mara Carabello. Gave you a. Hmm. I'm just I, looking. Yeah. I'm the just eye looking roll. Today. That's all right. I knew. I, was, I knew it was coming. Well, thanks for being with us. It's beautiful outside, and I feel like a lot it's nicer beautiful. person when the sun's shining, and I don't need a coat. So, anyhow, I might be polite during this podcast. We'll find <laughs> out. <laughs> we were just talking, though. We're all saying that we're tired. What's wrong with us? I don't know. There's it a is. gas leak in this station. I think. I think we're all. You know. There's a. I don't know. If there was a gas leak, I wouldn't know it, so let me know. Okay. I actually, actually uh, was testing my smell because I'm at a year and a half of not smelling, and I That's actually incredible. got, um, Mara gave me a tip of something that might help. It's on my list of things to do, but I went to a chiropractor the other day to see if that could help because I've yeah. seen some news stories about it. It's been three days. I'm not smelling anything, and just to check, my husband had a can of salmon open because yeah. he doesn't want a can of salmon <laughs> for lunch with their salad, and, and that makes me gag, and I sniffed the can before I went to work, and... Nothing. Nothing. So, so far, So no my good. 18-year-old hasn't got his taste or smell back. And I, oh, really? Yeah. And, and so he, I, I mentioned to him that you have had that long, you've been a long hauler. And so he'll ask me every once in a while if you've, <laughs> if you can taste or smell, because he's hoping yeah. that there's like a. How, know, how far out is he? He's, he's only about uh, five, six months. Interesting. Yeah. That's not only though. He's young though. I was like, really surprised. Yeah. It's back. I was really surprised for being an eight. Yeah, you know, he's still in high school. I was really surprised that he was feeling long term uh, side yeah. effects from it. I don't like the title long hauler though. I don't really like to be have a label. <laughs> I agree. I'm not I just that like to label. be a girl. Once again, yeah. I missed the memo. Okay, <laughs> you know, there's all these sensitivity tests that you got to be able to follow. That you know, you Enough. don't want to label people. I agree, but Enough. I need I need at least the memo to know that I used a term that. You know, could For be the new interpreted negatively. Greg projects a lot. I don't even. Know. <laughs> this is how simple my life is. I don't even know what it means to project. I don't even know what that means. I really don't. It doesn't really mean anything. Thanks. Just kidding. Yeah. Uh, what were, we should talk about? This is on the list down the list, but since we're talking about not being able to smell, <laughs> uh, Utah is finally done with its daily COVID updates, which I would say we've entered the endemic phase here mm-hmm. in Utah. I don't know if that's what they would say, but um, now we'll only be getting updates on cases and deaths and hospitalizations on a weekly basis on Thursdays. Uh, our numbers are back down to where they were if you're looking to probably about 60 days in, like March, April, early May in the pandemic when you're looking at case counts. So when you look at the graph, we're really, really low. People are still getting sick. When you look at it on a daily basis, it's about half who are vaccinated, half who are not. And then when you look at the half that were vaccinated, half of those have been boosted, half haven't. And at the same time, uh, Moderna is um, asking for kids to be able to get the vaccine six and under 
And we also have the opportunity now uh, for anyone 50 and older, which is no one in this room, to get another uh, booster shot. Mm-hmm. I'm just kidding. Yeah. We're all 30. Let's say that. I know. It's April Fool's Day. <laughs> That's right. So Everybody in their 20s here. That's so, right. Mara, um, when we're sitting where we are, and we've been talking about the fact that we're ready to move on, is this a good spot that we're in? Or are you thinking... Oh, there's always going to be something on the horizon. we got to look at China or what's happening in Europe and brace for digging our masks out of our pocket again or under our car seat. I think it's really healthy that that the public forums, media, Facebook, social media, isn't day-to-day beating this drum. I think there was a mental health effect. I think that there was a physical effect. So I think it makes sense. Um, that that's happening, and I'm going to give uh, a shout out to the health department and the federal health department and the CDC, who has that as their job, and they'll still keep it. I think what I hear is the change in policy is now saying the responsibility of the government. I hope is now being prepared if something else comes back. Now I say that that's their that's their responsibility, regardless of COVID or anything else. And so Utah seemed particularly fortunate or prepared in that if you wanted a shot, you could get one. If you wanted um, oral, you know, we've got a lot of choices after. We seem to have supplies of those. And so I would suspect that I hope our government, and yep. what I hear the governor saying is they're going to focus on continuing to be prepared. But I like that we're decreasing our focus on this. Yeah. And if you want a shot, you can get them. They've got plenty of them at this you, point. You can get almost any treatment you want around COVID. It is true. I, look, I think endemic is a term we should all get used to. I don't think it's ever going to be removed from the face of the earth. I think there's going to be some version of COVID-19 or a variant that's that's going, going to be around. I think the therapeutics, not just the vaccines and the boosters, but there are therapeutics now that you can take if you get ill that, that seem to have a are very efficacious and work uh, very well. They, they've cleared the FDA trials. I, I just think that that's we've learned a lot, um, but I don't think we could ever go back to what we've lived through already because I think that we're just going to start to feel some of the unintended consequences of our children, uh, interruption in academic progress, the isolation, the all the different things that are going that happened. I don't think we could take that path twice, but I do think we have we're better prepared to take on whatever variants of COVID we're going to see and then go from there. But I, mm. I do think we have to move on. I saw a, a couple young people walking outside today in nice weather, and both of them had masks on. And I thought to myself, you know, when is the moment for them? That they're going to not wear and out. They're walking outside. Uh, it, it's not. I mean, when when will they feel safe enough to take off the masks? When what's that moment look like? But you don't what know what it? they're going. I was in a meeting this morning with a woman who I would say was in her twenties. Yeah. And I walked in and she had a mask on, and so I said, "Hey, do are you do you want me to wear a mask?" And she said, "Oh, no, I just have a little bit of a head cold, and I've been sneezing, and I'm not even worried about it. I just thought that yeah. was a polite thing to do." So in yep. her case, she wasn't living in fear. Right. She and I don't even. You're saying she don't be judgy. She was not even saying she had COVID. She yeah. was sort of like one thing I've learned. And I thought, good for her. I mean, yeah, that's you know. fine. And actually, there are people with immune disorders, and there's people that have been through chemo, and their their body's ability to withstand any kind of virus is going to be compromised. And I get all that. I just hope that I, I just again, I just when you see people wearing masks more often than we did before, if it if it's because of COVID nineteen only, not because of cancer treatments or immune dis- disorders or or having a cold. 
will there be a moment where they think it's okay to take those masks where they off? Feel safe. Yeah, I just don't. I just hope I that hope everyone comes. gets to that point. But yeah. I'm also too. I love that everyone has a choice now. You know, if you wanted the vaccines, you could ha- you could have had it in multiple times over. If you want to wear a mask, then go for it. I noticed a couple of places I've gone into business wise. You can tell that the business is not requiring the masks anymore. But a couple of them are wearing it. And I'm like, okay, well, if you want to make my Chipotle burrito with a mask on, that's <laughs> fine it. with me because less coffee on the burrito. But, huh? you know, I love personal choice. So, <laughs> But why I'm laughing is, did you ever see when we went through this where you were in a drive-thru and there was someone in a car by themselves with a mask on at a drive-thru getting food from young people on the other side of that window where no one had any masks on? So they're in their car by themselves with a mask I on. I have wondered about food. the alone masker. <laughs> getting food know, from a I, bunch of people in a kitchen with no one having a mask on. They're handing them the food. They're in a car by themselves with a mask. And I'm going, I don't think this is, I don't get it. I I've just, asked a few people about that, about the masks in the car thing. And in winter, some people said it was just a nice little cozy on their warmer, face. Really? Yeah. They just face uh, warmer. Although I felt like in the wintertime when you'd breathe on it, it'd get humid. And then it'd be a cold, nasty felt. thing mm-hmm. on your face, which I didn't enjoy. And maybe some people have gotten so used to wearing it, they don't want to take it off. And I've noticed, um, even when I drop off my son at the high school, I don't, like everyone has their personal story, but I think in some ways it's a shield for some kids and they've kind of gotten used to wearing it and hiding behind it. So I hope that, you know, if it isn't for medical reasons, which, you know, please wear them, that I hope that kids feel comfortable they can, you know, go back to normal if, you know, they're healthy enough to go back to normal, which brings me to the next topic, and this is why... I think we're going to be talking about COVID for years to come is the CDC came out with a report um, this last week saying that 37% of high school students, this is across the country, have reported poor mental health during the pandemic. 44% they felt persistently hopeless and one in five, about 20% have seriously contemplated suicide over the pandemic. How that compares to numbers before, um, definitely higher. I don't have the specifics here. But that is a lot of kids. If you were to walk into a classroom and think about, you know, if there's 30 of them in there, how many of those have seriously uh, contemplated suicide and how many have felt hopeless? I want kids to be going back to normal and feeling like they have friends again and teachers. Uh, Mara, have you noticed this? Because you have a a daughter who's in a high school age that there have been problems or is everyone kind of going back and kind of easing back into what's normal? No, I mean, I think a lot of us, what was interesting is you, you maybe didn't even see this during the height of it. You saw it as we eased out one of the, I'm going to, because this is such a scary statistic, I'm going to glass half full it for a minute. And I think what I like about this is we're talking about mental health and we're talking about, and I'm going to use colloquial. We're talking about normal kids quote, who are struggling. And I think before we used to attribute that it wouldn't happen to our kid because look at them. They're happy and they're talking. And and not these feelings don't necessarily yeah. manifest on the outside. And we have not mainstreamed this to be that you are perfectly lovely, healthy, happy, um, coping, and yet you're also sad and depressed and scared or whatever your anxiety is a huge component of mental health, particularly for kids, the pressures that they're feeling, and then we all know social media. So my glass half full is I think we need to keep talking about it because I think everyday kids are are feeling the effects that are manifesting through their mental health. And I think it's really good that we um, talk about it normally and that we it's, it's not a stigma and it's not a mark against someone and we don't think that they're weak or that they're not coping and all of those attributions that I think particularly Utah 
where we are very focused on how people are viewing the success of our families, um, I think it's really important that we break down those barriers. Absolutely. You have young people at your home too. And I think for the teenager to college age, it's been a very different experience over the last couple of years. Have you noticed um, with your own children or their friends um, that things have been different in the last couple of years? Are they kind of easing back into what's normal and hanging out and doing what they did pre-pandemic? So look, I, I, I can't sample all college kids, but I, I will tell you from my experience with my uh, college age uh, kids, college was like a petri dish when it came to covid these kids didn't care they all had friends that got it they they might lose they would be together and someone would laugh and say you know what i just lost my taste or smell and everyone would laugh and they just keep going uh they were not wired by dna to socially distance in these college age years and so they were not as at least my my child and their social circle they were not afraid but i will tell you very very different when you got to high school where it isn't you're living in you know on your own with roommates yeah. now you're living at home now you have adults and you know the, the high school experience is far more structured with adults and so you were seeing a very different atmosphere with my children that were in high school versus my child that was in in college and uh and that was a contrast the part that was frustrating for me and i think this is you know when we look at stats like this this didn't shock a lot of people there's a lot of people that were worried about this in real time and, mm -hmm. and trying to weigh what are we protecting against versus what are we inviting in terms of uh, trials and challenges for our kids? And there were, there were a lot of calls to pay better attention or focus on this a little bit more. And uh, I would, my wife would argue, and I would agree with her, that there wasn't as much focus on these statistics we're staring at now in terms of children's mental health uh, during that time. And so, look... It's easy to hindsight it, but I'm going to tell you that was a frustration then. I think moving forward, we just got to look at this and understand what's the, how are we best protecting people? Just yeah. adults, children, young, you know, college age, high school, younger. I, I can't stand watching scenes where you see little kids in masks while the adults are all standing around without a single mask. But Greg, on. I don't get that. You, I, I appreciate your equating there, but yeah. I really think I don't want to confuse political issues with anxiety and getting mental health treatment. Because the one uh, thing I'm, I'm going to see where the these proof political is in, decisions the had proof an impact in the on, on this health. The proof in the pudding is this, is parents who agree to have their kids see therapy and therapists agreeing that kids have mental health problems, agreeing that a child is not wrong or broken by expressing it. Because I don't fine, like but it, but I, I hear you saying it expressed in political terms. But where it will show up is school counselor funding, where it'll show up Mara, is more access to mental health so let me ask the you this. It's medical not, systems. When you say political, it sounds like it's cheapening the, the observation. Do you think that the children's, our kids' mental health would be the same, good or bad, in, if we never had this COVID experience? Here's would it what be the I know. same? Here's what I know. I genuinely, don't have I'm to not trying to be argumentative. I'm genuinely curious what you think. I can take the statistics that we know, and I can deal with those kids from that position, and I don't have to bring my baggage into that discussion. There's no baggage. I'm saying I, that there I'm was an impact to these what kids. What we know is a third of the kids are saying they're stressed out right now. So yeah. what should we be doing? We should be we should be taking that information and saying to our schools, wow, how are we teaching how to deal with anxiety? How are we teaching behavioral science? How are we teaching all of those things, coping skills that you're going to need in a modern? So I don't, I, I hear you wanting to I focus on the I agree with everything you just said, but I'm going to tell you that, that there the was through line. We could see this happening or at least exacerbating problems that we're yeah. already seeing our kids Agreed. go through 
with what was happening there. Liberals and conservatives saw this. But if you've got kids at home and you're listening to this and you think, eh, my kids are fine, have the conversation with them. See how they're doing. See if they need someone to talk to, whether it's you or someone professionally. I know right now it's hard to find people to talk to, but I think this isn't the last thing we're going to hear. Uh, There was a study that came out last month that said that alcohol-related deaths in just the first year of the pandemic were up by 25%. And they were saying that that really was probably nine months of that year because the first three months weren't really pandemic-related. So we're waiting. It seems like numbers always take an extra year to come out, so it's going to take us a while. Uh, Kids, is it eighth grade and fifth grade? I forget what years they test in, but there's nationally... standardized tests they take in school and once Mm -hmm. we get those back from this year we'll kind of see if kids have lost learning so we are now in the learning of what damage has and has not been done and how to move forward so hopefully we can move forward in a healthy manner um we got to talk about elections because they are knocking at our door we got the legislative session over with we got to think about this and i was seriously intrigued in watching how closely to see how many people would make it on the primary ballot for the Senate race. Senator Mike Lee was the first to get the 28,000, which is a large feat for anyone. He had the most money and the most name recognition. Ali Isom was next with 28,000. And Becky Edwards, when I checked last night, I should have checked again today, was about maybe eight to 900 off from getting the certified um, votes. Uh, Greg, you first on this. Are you surprised that we're going to have this packed of a primary ballot uh, for the Senate race? Because for me, I was thinking, okay, well, that's almost 100,000, you know, signatures they're going to need that are verified. That's a lot of people. It's a tall hill to climb, but we got them. Yeah, no, I, you know, the sad part is I was in the legislature when we came up with this, uh, you know, this process of signature gathering, and it was agreed upon across the board, those that wanted to do the signature advocated for signature gathering those that were trying to find a, a, a compromise there that that plurality in our primaries was not ideal that having someone win with a of a small a, a 35 30 percent of the vote in a in a race of multiple candidates wasn't uh necessarily reflecting the will of the people because and so everybody had agreed when that when the compromise was made in the legislature that the effort to try and narrow it down for voters to have two people to choose from was the end goal, but we've never got there. We've never under, We've never had any kind of agreement, or they haven't had any agreement on how to get down to two people. I think any any primary that any election that has more than one candidate, and when you get into a primary of Republicans, it's not like a, a, a radical third or some third party that people mm-hmm. don't seriously consider. You're going to have those div- those votes divided out uh, thinly, and then I think that that. It it ch- it just changes the dynamics of an election, and I don't think in a good way. So, so you I think want it's a, more I think than it's one problem. person to come out of the primary. Or? No, no, I want. I think that the ideal way to do it would be have a runoff. Do something where you have one person or the other to choose from at the end of the day, because if you spread that out over people that qualify for signatures, and now you're voting for four, or it, it, I just don't think that the number of votes someone gets to be the nominee. Um, and given that Democrats now aren't even taking their own candidate seriously, they're migrating over to become Republicans to vote in that primary. I, I just don't think it's I don't think it's the 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 consensus candidate for that party. I think you should have one or the other to choose from. So I hate plurality. Plurality is not uh, Greg's game. Do you I always like having more <laughs> Greg not for hates, obvious reasons hates either. Participation. So here's not, some interesting things. The twenty eight thousand by any measure is considered a pretty high Far to it's a lot. It is. Apparently, at least 28,000 people feel like their candidate should have their name heard. Now, what will happen is I think Lee and maybe 
Well, I don't think the other challengers will probably go all in at convention. Lee will go on at convention, and he will crush convention. So he's going to come out of April 23rd with a big bounce. If we're just still talking about the lead up and how you get on the ballot. So yeah. so assuming Becky Edwards gets on through signature gathering, Ali has gotten on. Mm-hmm. The Weber State guy whose name I should know is not really putting much effort into it. So I don't think he's worried about it. Um and but Lee will come. He also is putting on a good show, even though he's signature gathered. He's really going to clearly go all in with the delegates who are going to convention. The reason I'm bringing this up is that they have to qualify two weeks. They have to submit their signatures two weeks before the convention. And what Greg's talking about is the dual roles that we have now. So someone will come out of convention yes. with the official party stamp approval. Mm -hmm. And if they 60% that, which I suspect most people think Lee will, he will come out with the stamp of approval. And the other two challengers have raised enough signatures to, I think, earn their spot on the Republican ballot. And the argument that too much competition is confusing to the voter or, or somehow not appealing to the to it really speaks to the one-party system in which many believe that the general election... The one thing I hate is how early, not early, because, I mean, you obviously have to have a primary before you get to the November election. But in the middle of the summertime, you're so busy on vacations and having fun with kids. Are you really digging into the Huntsman took a run at this, and I think he was right. I've always hated the June primary. The June primary is impossibly hard to engage anybody but inside baseball, because of which you just said, who who remembers this moment? Now, I think mail balloting somewhat helps because it shows up at your house, and you're like, oh, that's right, and oh, I care. But I wish we had delayed our primary. It, There's also a national argument that well, Utah would it. be more relevant. Well, yeah. yeah. So the so it used to be in September um, in the early 90s and earlier than that. But but we moved it. I I understand that the state looked to be more relevant in the yeah. presidential primaries that were going on. So and we were going to do aggregated, right? Yeah. So, yeah, so, so they've moved that around to try and, and be part of that, um, you know, because yeah. if you're having your primary when the conventions, national conventions have already occurred. Nobody cares. I mean, yeah, it's, it, so there was a, that national and presidential election that was influencing that process of getting your uh, primary earlier than later. But I, I'm going to tell you that I don't think any candidate that gets 30 to 35% of the vote to be the nominee of that party, especially in Utah where, most believe, in, including Democrats, that the Republican nominee wins in Greg, November. Underperforming, it seems like too under, small per, of a percentage of votes. Underperforming Republican primaries only held that plurality within the register. What's the difference? So when mean? we had non-competitive primaries, you no, they were compet- they were competitive no, before they, they went plurality. No, they Mike, weren't. Mike Lee and Mike Lee, Tim Bridgewater in 2010 was a very competitive. If primary. you took a percentage of registered Republicans, which is assuming who your audience is, yeah, more participation is better, and more participation. Yeah, but they is should be voting for one. The, they, it was Richard Iyer versus Mike Levitt. It was Tim Bridgewater versus yeah. Mike Lee. I mean, these were great I think primaries. Democracy depends on not barriers to the ballot. It's yeah. not a barrier. That's not. A, what is the barrier if you're voting between two people versus if you're voting between four? But you have. You want to squeeze that down at convention. Why don't you get a what rid I'm of conventions saying, and squeeze it down look, with a winner take all like primary? Men. I prefer the like convention Almond route. Joy, and some people just want. I think. <laughs> I think the convention route is important. I think that uh, having two to vote for in that process is good but even if you did a runoff or something i i think you should have two people to choose from to really get the sentiment of that party's nominee here's what i think strange is that 
we have three people who've essentially gotten their 28,000 signatures, which to me is a pretty high bar. But uh, the Hinckley Institute and the Deseret News did a poll recently, and it shows Mike Lee with 67%. Uh, following next, 19% for Becky Edwards. And Ali Isom, who was the second to get to the 28,000 mark, she is below Evan Barlow, who's at 6%. She's at 4%. So it's strange to me that you can get out, talk to that many people, get that many signatures, and still barely <laughs> register on but, the but Heidi, let me tell you what signature gathering is. It sounds great. It sounds like a, a, a beautiful grassroots effort. What it is is you pay per signature. It is and true. These, and these, company, these people knock on your door, and many don't really know who the candidate they're trying to get these votes, these signatures they for, who they are. And some, how they represent asking for the signature can vary in terms of story because these are hired people to go door to door to get these signatures. And so it's not a, a grassroots effort per se. It's a, a very, very expensive process to get signatures. And in this race for statewide to get that many, I think it's at least a quarter of a million dollars that you would pay a company to get those signatures. It needed. is a lot of money. Someone these, asked me outside of Pretty Bird the other night if I'd like to sign for a candidate. I did not. No. <laughs> these bill numbers were interesting. I've they declined. were they were good for Lee. Um, and they show what Greg is objecting to. They show the choice. They show that you're diluting uh, many. The analysis um, of Lee's vulnerability, I think, is real. And I saw many of those preconditional polls before these candidates were deciding to go in. But whenever you take on an incumbent, the incumbent win rate across the United States is 90 plus. So going in, I'm leaving names out because this just is like, this is just math in politics, right? And so the the challenge rate is really narrow shot to begin with. And then if you, to Greg's point on political math, if you give them a choice, the 10%, (laughs) if you give them a choice between three, four, and five, suddenly no one can get to the long shot. So you agree with me. Thank you very much. I completely disagree with Greg. We've just gone full circle. (laughs) You just just said that all those that would vote against Mike Lee dilute their votes against Mike Lee because they vote for three candidates, not one. No, we were on a different topic, but I am. (laughs) No, we are. I mean, you having access to the ballot is is a different issue. I do think, Uh, though, this shows how hard it is to challenge somebody. And when there's multiple challengers, it really hurts the other challenger, Absolutely. not the incumbent. Which and is even when we're looking bummer. towards November, we've got Evan McMullen. And yesterday, uh, the 31st of March, was the deadline for anyone inside the state, if you were an independent, to file for the Republican primary or Democrats to switch over, which has become a whole big fight again, which Greg gets exercised about. brought his soapbox in with him, uh, tied. I'll just mm-hmm. also say, just Greg is wearing his Mike Lee t-shirt. Oh, hey, look at me. I'm wearing the swag. I did not notice that. Um, I've Mike gone with spring florals. Mike Lee has the greatest. with vote. vote. You know, yeah, you have the vote. <laughs> I have the Mike Lee swag. Of all the campaigns, maybe ever, these are the greatest t-shirts and hats a campaign's ever come out with. I, I love them all. Because and and, you I'm, like and the, I support Senator Lee. you like Senator the slogan Lee. on it, or you think it's like a good quality uh, it t-shirt? Yeah, it's a good quality, quality t-shirt. t-shirt. It's got a little pocket on it. I haven't had a pocket for t-shirt for how long? Yeah, it's like you know? it, it's a SIGPAS pocket. It's a, yeah. Is there something on the back? We'll post a picture no, if you guys want to see. <laughs> but it's a, it's a great, it's a comfortable t-shirt. Very basic. Yeah. And I love that. I'm not wearing the hat, but I love that. I'd be too much of a homer if I wore the hat and the shirt. I appreciate a good free t-shirt, too. 99.9% just go straight to the di but i got one of the vice presidential debate which That's cool i just really love it's just like silky against your skin it's like the instagrammers what they say it feels like butter yeah you know no it, really like that, that is the nice thing about campaign this will surprise elections. you my favorite one is of course my original obama one 
That was soft good, as that's butter. That's the candidate. It's not the butter. fabric. It's not the no, how nice. No, this is the most lovely t-shirt. And do you wear it for like actual outfits out and about? Or is it your like weekend comfy, like snuggle up? It's wa- a weekend. Well, I mean, you know, is dog walking out and about? Because I yeah. wear yeah. it then. Yeah, then I'm, an out, then I'm out and about. Okay. I like mm. that. It's good to have a t-shirt you really love. Yeah. All right. Well, Greg, were you going to lose your mind about Republicans and Democrats voting in other people's primaries? Is this going to shake things up or is this going to be fine? Yeah, I think it's a farce. I I mean, you have you have you have organizations, special interest organizations, farce. I said the F word farce. You have you have traditionally left of center organizations that are putting out their own ads saying switch your party affiliation to become a Republican. And there's nothing about the Republican Party they subscribe to. They have just given up openly and publicly any chance of Democrats having being electable, any candidate that would tether themselves to the Democrats being electable. And they're just driving as many people as they can uh, to, to register as Republicans. I think, it, I think it's sad. I really do. Do you think that they actually made a difference in how the votes turned out during the gubernatorial race when we saw your friend Jim DeBacchus really make a push for people to register as Republicans? No, I, I, I'm doomed by my answer because if I say yes, then I'm, I'm just sour grapes. But I will say that there was a recent study done that, that identified a significant number of crossover votes because you don't have to register as a, a Democrat to vote in a Democrat primary. So... It's not just who's registered Democrat that switched over to become a Republican. Many unaffiliated voters would self-identify as left of center. And if you see the migration, the highest June primary, Republican primary in Utah's history was the 2018 Romney one that had Mm -hmm. 325,000 votes. This was north of 500,000 votes. And there was a very strong concerted effort to have people change their party affiliation throughout the entire campaign. It did. It, it was a. It, it looked more like so the, the, what I saw is that more the people who who it sh- benefited it, was it Cox or Huntsman well, I, or some of the both. I'll say or this. Was it, it had. It had. It, well, it wasn't me. I lost, so <laughs> I, I didn't win on that one. No, it, it, it had the makeup. If you were to sample the voters, they had a makeup of more of a general of a November race voter. The profile of a November va- race voter was what you were seeing in the Republican primary. You know, if that's what if that's what the Democrats want, and if they just decided they're going to give up on those November races and they just want to have them all in the Republican side of it, I guess. But I don't know. I we've all said that one party states aren't the best way to do it. So I don't know why everyone's giving up on their party and trying to shove themselves into so the Republican Party. Greg lives in the land of the party, and I like that in many aspects. I've worked it's for practical. party. Would you I've, feel it's, his it's same called way real though, politics. You, like, reversed roles. So Would I you think, feel... I, so I think parties are essential. Um, I think that they do a lot to bring up issues. I think they have a lot of volunteers. They they bring spirit to things. And I have worked in parties, um, and I don't want to... I don't want to negate the role or the importance of parties. But for me, who is more important to the party in a democracy is the individual voter. And the individual voter is the heart of why we seceded and and fought a civil war, or I mean, excuse me, fought the Revolutionary War. And the heart of democracy is the individual right to vote, which is why you saw women fight for it, why you saw minorities fight for it. And your right to voice your opinion matters to me so much that while I want to give credit to the role parties play in politics, Mm -hmm. I understand the need for the individual voter to assess sans party, not mapping, in fact, to a party, but in fact, mapping to their right to vote. And that, I think, is the genesis of this switching and participating in the Republican primary. 
the sentiment I agree with, the practical, how you think you would exercise that is where we disagree. I don't think anyone, what you've just described is someone that doesn't want to. I know how I'm exercising it. What somebody, to do what you've just described, someone would not affiliate with a party. They would go unaffiliated and they would vote in a November right, election. and the Republicans so, eliminate the unaffiliated because most Utahns would prefer to be unaffiliated and the Republicans them, no, but you're force saying that there's them a right, to participate. You're, no, you're, des- you're describing some fundamental right to vote in a political party's primary to choose their nominee. Uh, it's it's this simple story that was given to me when I was 18 and I showed up to, to register the vote for the first time. The lady across the desk said this. If you want to be, if you want to help choose a Republican Party nominee, register as a Republican. If you want to help choose a Democrat Party's nominee for a race, register as a Democrat. If you don't want to choose nominees and you want to vote on in November and you don't want to help, you don't want to participate in either party's nomination process... Be unaffiliated and well, vote she, in November. She oversimplified the process. It seemed very because logical unaffiliated to voters it was very can logical. vote in Utah for the Democrats. And in well, Utah, that's, you that's, used that's to the be Democrat, able, That's the Democrat Party's choice that they, they want to do it that Republicans used to have open primaries. And so the parties set it's, their rules, and then the voter gets to preempt based on their right to participate. But if you're saying that you don't right believe necessarily in party politics, you believe in someone's right to vote, then why would you perpetuate party politics by driving people to parties nominating elections why wouldn't you just drive people to november elections to are vote are you asking me to yeah. explain to you the monolith that is the republican party in you're, utah you're saying and the you, fact you, that nobody thinks a general election is relevant issue, everybody thinks you're the perpetuating is the very issue you're, you're complaining about you can't lament party politics when you're driving people to people's party to i'm vote. saying the relevant vote in the u.s senate race is the primary vote would you disagree with that? You think the does, general it, election it, it, vote is more important be, than the primary it vote? It will always be if you're if you if you if you keep that sentiment. Oh no! Then it if will you want to talk be. political strategy, it wasn't the case. Then let's have the moderates show up at the Republican races. conventions. Ooh. Let's let's have the moderates show up Jan and, Graham, and elect the Jan moderates. Graham win the sta- in the state of Utah statewide twice? Of if course I had she some did. music, Jan I would Graham put up the audio of "It's My Party." It'll cry. If I'm I just saying that, that right you now. cannot say you cannot throw up the white flag and say we'll never have another Democrat statewide right elected official. I'm so we all have to vote on as Republicans. Of the Democrats. I am not speaking on behalf of the Democrats. I'm I just would make a better Democrat party chair than you, and that's pretty sad. Amen, brother, because <laughs> you care more about party politics no, than I do. You care about it because you want everyone to be a Republican. You care about the party politics. Voters, you should want everyone to be unaffiliated. I want a lightning round. Now, all right, okay. you ready? Okay. It's We're having fun. Sunday. There's no, there's no tension in here. We're just passing. Yeah, I, we sh- we have to point out. I know. that to people. We are Here's not our verbal emoji. Yeah, like this if you could, if this was on fun. video, you'd see we're smiling. We're we're fine here. We're I just passionate. We're gonna bring video to this podcast soon. Yes. Don't mark my words. But <laughs> I could show off my Mike Lee T-shirt. Right uh, aspiration. I know. I'm working on that. So county GOP conventions are underway, yeah. and as a Democrat who wants to be a part of the GOP, it sounds like Mara. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I only yeah, kid. I know. Because we all know I'm a Republican. Because who thinks it would be more fun than to attend 10 rural county GOP conventions? We've seen some interesting things, and one in Davis County, Steve Handy, uh, a moderate Republican, lost to Trevor Lee. Do you think this is a trend that we're going to see across the state right now, or was this just a one and done and this this I hope it's not a trend, because I will tell you, a hat off traditionally to Democrat, or excuse me, to Davis County Republicans. Davis County Republicans have always performed to the moderate, sensible, common sense middle. (laughs) And now they've thrown that out and they've replaced it with their equivalent of 
whatever they're calling the January Sixers Tea Party people. Oh, and I was this super is, this bummed. Is, this what is the new this is dog, Tea Party? I learned this I term it. from you, dog whistling. That's what that was. So I, I was you, you taught me the term. That was Steve it. Handy, who's a good friend and a former my, ally. You just said January sixth. It has Hughes's. nothing to do. No, Steve no, Handy has I'm nothing not to do labeling. with January 6th. I'm not labeling. This is what you I just read. Said it. I read it in the paper oh, that that's God. what these okay. people called themselves. It's Greg's turn. I think it's a bummer that Steve Handy mm. is not being voted on. He's been a really good representative for them. And is um, Trevor Lee a good friend of yours? No. I, well, I don't know. But look, that's that's the refiner's fire of a high information caucus convention cycle. Uh, Steve Handy is a friend of mine. And, and he's been a great lawmaker. He's been more moderate in his votes, but that's who sent him. And that's it, it is not the case that every House district in Utah looks exactly the same. The constituencies are different. Uh, this, but here we are in 2022, and I believe it is going to swing uh, more conservative. I think traditionally, if you look at the, the party that won the presidency, you'll see nationally uh, a, a vote the other way, that the midterms tend to favor the party that's out of power. But then you take what's been happening around the country and you take what's going on even in our state. I think you're going to see a very strong swing to Can a I more conservative a electorate. Mm. And I think that Steve Handy was caught in that. So so Speaker Wilson got out of um, convention by an eyelash. So you well, think that that let's, reflects... Let's, let's be careful. You, you, he got 70 plus percent of so, the delegate vote, but they need 70 percent there so it was so it was a close vote and to you avoid think a primary. that was warranted you think that reflects his service i think i think that him having two uh, opponents is reflects the times we're in right now yes i do mm-hmm. i do i i look if you don't see it coming let me be the first to warn you Repu- conservatives and and people that are frustrated with what's going on around them are going to be more energized than Democrats or people that are that seen as so, more moderate or left of so center. so far, the far right has been so quiet. I'm telling you. <laughs> let me just say this. I might be wrong, but the what? beautiful thing about midterms the far is, right we'll, is have math, we'll have math to see who's right, who's wrong. I think you're going to see a very a, a wide swing. Your heads are going to explode when criminal charges are brought against your Hunter Biden, Hunter Biden, and then his father. Oh my is that who ha- my head might explode if that'll happen? About the investigations into with a, I told you so. Presidents here in the great United States of America. Uh, our next and final <laughs> round of this lightning round that is like sort of like the a slowest, a slow slowest bolt light. that like sort of just slowly kills you, yeah. kills you softly and slowly. <laughs> we should never use the word lightning on this podcast. <laughs> no, it's just a, it's it, actually. Yeah, so it's I want to switch misuse. to the U.S. House, which. Um, Greg noticed uh, today they passed um, something that I don't know is going to pass as quickly in the Senate, but marijuana, if they have their say, will be free for recreational use, one and all. Um, I don't know if there was any age limits on that. I don't know. We'll have to look into it further because I feel like this is going to be a lot like the daylight saving bill where they pass it at lightning speed, and then the Senate's like, we'll look at that when we are not at war or have other big problems. I'm going to answer semantically, which Greg loves when Mm. I get semantic. (laughs) Semantics. Um, (laughs) I think what is correct and interesting about the federal conversation is it's decriminalizing marijuana. So the states have been about marijuana use to some degree. I mean, sort of about whether it's medicinal or whether the effects of. I think where it creates conflict is legal conflict. Mm -hmm. And And how do you, yeah, and banking. But those are all legal mechanisms. And so I do think it makes sense that the federal government is not, uh, I hope they don't spend as much time on sort of pro-con marijuana, but rather, wait a minute, we've created huge controversy between state laws and federal laws. And and I think it's been well documented um, that the harm that criminalization of marijuana has caused 
uh, throughout the history of, of the greatest America. example of states' rights is when California and, and Colorado decided we know that marijuana is a Schedule One narcotic, we know it's violating federal law, and we as a state, by the vote of the people, are going to say it's as legal as day is long. Right. The Obama administration, when those deci- when those votes came and those states decided to make marijuana legal, in against the fact that it's a a st- Schedule One narcotic and it's not legal, it's a felony to to use it and to buy it and to sell it. Um, the, the Obama administration and the Depart- his Department of Justice did not enforce that federal law. And that allowed for that to grow and to become stronger and stronger and more and more states started to do it. I think there is a medical efficacy for marijuana, for cannabis. I think medical cannabis has its place. I think there's ways that it helps people that are suffering. I think there's uh, solutions that are not opioids and maybe some of the more dangerous ways that people address pain and other issues. So I think there's, there's a space there that should be legalized. I think that if you're looking at it by way of medicine, that, that we should have a national, that the law should allow for, because we have 30, it's got to be 38 states by now that are allowing either medical and recreational, one or the other or both. It's, there's no way you're going to wake up one day and start enforcing this, the use of this schedule one narcotic. So they need to reschedule it. But I would hope that they would stare at the medical side of it, because if they don't, I think we lose the opportunities of the research and the and what we can do with with medical cannabis that will help people instead of just making it recreational where you're just throwing as much THC in it as you can to enjoy it as much as you can. I think there's a, there's something valuable about the medical side. The U.S. House also this week, I believe it was yesterday, voted um, to pass a cap to insulin costs at $35 a month, which was interesting because if you look at the voting records, I think only 12 Republicans sided with Democrats on this. It's obviously a real issue. If you have someone who's a type 1 diabetic in your family, and I know um, my father is one, you shouldn't have to be paying exorbitant amounts of money, thousands and thousands of dollars a month at times, to literally stay alive because it's the only way you can stay alive. You shouldn't have to take part of your dose or whatnot. The problem is, is how to solve this problem. I know President Trump, when he was in office, tried, I think it was by executive order, to put in um, a cap of sorts too, but it was for people, I think, that up to 350% of the poverty rate, and so there was a lot of math and confusion going on as to who would have this. It was certainly not a perfect plan. Biden came into office, kind of didn't necessarily get rid of it, but kind of kicked the can down the road. Now the House passes this. Um, Mara, now the Senate's going to look at it, but they've got a more bipartisan look at it. The problem is, is I think it's easy to say, well, you know, Utah's four congressional members are jerks. They want people to die. But it's not that easy when you're looking at telling a private company how much they can charge. We want to tell them that they can't charge that much because it's been decades since anyone's done any research or changing on insulin. They don't need money to keep up with the times. But it's hard to tell a business, this is the price for your hamburger, and this is what you have to charge and nothing yeah, more. Yeah, I mean, this is the age-old problem with changing our broken healthcare system. We all yeah. agree it's broken. Mm-hmm. And when you jump in and start something, it's imperfect. I'm not arguing for or against, but like when you press here, this you know changes, and when you press here, this changes. Um, insulin's interesting because of how many people it affects. Um, also, that the drug, as you suggest, is over a hundred years old. So yeah. you say to pharma, "This is a hundred-year-old drug." Now, I think my best guess on why our delegation voted against it is that it does 
who gets left holding the bag here in many instances are the insurers. And we have a strong insurance system here. And I think they said, gosh, this is inequitable. I think the point of view of the House is saying we're going to jump in somewhere. As you suggested, the House bill is unlikely to be accepted because there's already a counter Senate bill that's actually got bipartisan support. So they'll bring that. What I do hope is, I don't know, I don't have to make the decision, so I'm in the easy cheap seats. But Eventually, I feel like we've got to do something as imperfect as it is because the insurance always have an argument, the uh, patient always has an argument, the doctors have the argument, the hospital. Like, it's so broken. I just feel like it has to start somewhere. I feel like that's maybe the surge in the insulin is at least it's a very relatable. Uh, but yeah. I do think our delegation was was not because they hate people with diabetes, but rather Which they're the looking at when you push yeah. here, what's hap- what happens here. Absolutely. And Greg, before you go, just to give you an example, and I know it changes depending on who your insurance is, but my parents were living in Belgium for a couple of years. They came back and something changed in their insurance. And so my dad was literally paying thousands of dollars for a vial. And it got to the point where it was cheaper for them to book a flight, to go back and visit our family in Holland, have a vacation and bring back a few vials. You can't bring back a year supply. It doesn't last like that. It has to be refrigerated. But it was cheaper for them to just go on a quarterly vacation, go have fun in Europe and bring some vials home as opposed to paying the price it costs here in the U.S., which is nuts. Well, uh, actually, I was going to go there because I'm I'm aware of people that go to Mexico to get insulin because it's it's not so prohibitively expensive. And my question is, is it the insurance where where the those that per, that make it provide it sell it think that insurance companies will cover it so they can just rate, raise those those costs so you know unreasonably and where you would have to pay cash you've seen the places like Mexico or other places where you can afford it i don't, i don't know but there is got when you separate the person who pays from the mm-hmm. person who receives there is a great space for someone to to start raising profiteering and raising prices and and i don't know if that's the case here but it doesn't make any sense to me that you can go to a country like mexico which is not renowned for its healthcare delivery and be able to get medicine that you critically need at a price you can afford but come to this country and it's out of reach for the everyday person, it, 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 there is something wrong with that. You need opioids, though. We, so we could get you that for like a five dollar copay. If you need <laughs> yeah, those yeah, right now. yeah exactly, exactly. Why are some of these things so available, and the others are just so prohibitively expensive? I just well, the lack of transparency and pricing hard. has been so frustrating for years. And I mean, to that, uh, when you when you compare it, or when the industry says, "Hey, you know, you don't tell how much to pay for a, a burger," and I'm like. Yeah, because I can walk into any burger joint and just look on their wall before I buy it how much it's going know, to cost how nice me. Is that? Not exactly. after I buy it. You're like, my burger costs what? <laughs> so, so George, I heard a speech once by George Will, and he said that, you know, this whole healthcare thing started when there was a long, I get, after around World War II or something, where they actually did a wage freeze and they, don't, they said mm-hmm. that you can only make so much. And so the way that employers are trying to attract, good employment employers uh, employees was to offer benefits and this is where the the health benefits started to be paid by an employer or by insurance versus by the person who needs the mm-hmm. health care and he said what if instead of doing health care they would have chosen food what if you could have had benefits that would have allowed you to just get food and you didn't ever have to go to a supermarket and know the price you would just get the food that you preferred what would you buy versus Look at how we cut coupons. Look at how we look for the shop. We do a lot of price shopping and savings when we purchase food, groceries. 
We don't do it in healthcare because it's been an area where we haven't been able to see the prices. There's no transparency in the cost. I just learned recently that you could have a surgeon inside your, your, your insurance network. You could have your doctor in your insurance network. But if the anesthesiologist oh, yeah, that's that they invite in is in there and you didn't ask, and you, you can get a $5,000 bill that you didn't know was coming because you thought you were all within your healthcare plan and network. But there was a, there was a, one of the, one of the procedures wasn't covered and you had no idea. And and so I do think there is a, just a a, a terrible problem with transparency and healthcare and healthcare delivery. And once you get to the elected, the, the, uh, the LASIK surgery, other things Mm. where you have to pay out of your pocket, look at those prices and how they go down. And they're actually more accessible to the public to some degree versus, the, the mystery and the cost of healthcare general It generally. is crazy because when you go to the doctor and they're like, would you like to get paid the cash price here? Would you like it to go through insurance and see how much you'll owe? And then all the other options. I'm like, how about everyone just pays the same price? Like my chiropractic appointment the other day that I'm still waiting for my smell to come back. My back feels amazing, <laughs> but I paid a cash out of pocket because they said it was going to be cheaper for me to just pay their cash price as opposed to having it go through my insurance where I probably get billed some, which is crazy. I take pig thyroid keep me ticking mm. i pay for that instead of having to go through my insurance got real quiet in here when you yeah. said that, that was, i was that trying was, to process I, I wasn't that. really prepared like, for that that <laughs> was that that's a different thing i know so there's are you pers- i'm not judging at all i'm just more curious as to yeah so it's called okay. armor thyroid and okay. it's just a different choice like you a lot could of have said that but you you meant to shock me by saying it's literally desiccated pig thyroid and i say i'm a vegan so i should probably stop that because i do eat pig thyroid and that's where it's a whole nother podcast but humans are close enough to pigs we can share the same thyroid Oh, yeah. I know. Isn't that great? Nice. I don't dig on swine. Nice. Is you it don't? local? That's, that's is it a, local pig? Do you make sure? That was, that was a quote. <laughs> Locally. Far, farm raised like on a ranch. I like a local farm raised. I like a local thyroid. farmed table. <laughs> Where do we go here? Is. is this Friday? <laughs> is there a unicorn going to walk in this room right now? Unusually so Heidi What's started What's going on this, here? I know. This, this is tangent. random. And this was the worst lightning round. Um, I'd like to finish this Stop off. Stop saying the word lightning. An hour and a half later. This is the sloth round we're in right now. We have jumped the shark or jumped the pig, as we should say. Thank you for joining us for this riveting conversation about politics, health care, and, and what T-shirts and we're wearing. Thyroids. And pig thyroids. I'm going to post. That was some personal thyroid? information that I take yeah. pig thyroids. Sorry, you had to know that. But we'll post I, a picture I'm very of our supportive. I'm not you. judging. I'm just curious. I'm, I'm very supportive. I oink only on occasion. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually not even one of those people that snorts when they laugh. See, I wouldn't, so I wouldn't even make that, that joke. I'm, I'm that I'm that. You're that in caring. tune. You're yes. that. Yes. Wow. Yes. Well, I wouldn't even joke with that. Well done. Thanks. You're so sensitive. Thanks. Thanks for noticing. <laughs>